Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation of disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the author has made a great opening uh, statement in in Hebrews chapter 1. It's been pretty powerful. He's made a great argument for the superiority of Jesus. He's encouraged his audience to stay the course, not to return back to Judaism, right? I mean, he, he, he's made the argument, and now he does something that is very bold. Now, now hear me, it is loving, but it is extremely courageous. You see, he, he, he now tells these people that it's, it's not just enough to have these truths about God. He says, listen, I've given you these great truths about God, but but knowing the truth is not enough. You've got to do something about it. And so he does the most loving thing that that a pastor, that a shepherd could do is he looks at the people that he has told about Jesus. And he now says, now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do because Jesus is is better? What are you going to do? And, and, and so um, he, in four verses, he does three things. He calls them to action. He warns them. And then he reminds them of God's coming judgment. This morning, we're going to look at, at two of those things, the call to action and the reminder. And here's our lesson for the day. You're following along in your sermon notes. Ready? I want you to see this morning that Jesus is a better anchor. Jesus is a better anchor. This is what we just sang about. By the way, did you notice that hymn was written in the 1800s? Isn't that pretty cool that we can still sing songs today that saints long ago sang and they still make sense to us? It's so sweet. Jesus is, is a better anchor, and, and our author breaks this down in, in two ways, and, and, uh, and we're going to look at the first, we're going to look at the call to action. Hebrews 2.1 says it this way. It says, we must pay the most careful attention... Therefore, to what we have heard, therefore, to what we have heard, two observations for you. Here's the first this morning uh, as we we figure out that Jesus is a better anchor. I need you to see that we need to actively anchor ourselves to Jesus and his teachings. We need to actively anchor ourselves to Jesus. And his teachings. Now, there's a key word in here that we usually read over. It's the word, therefore, in in, in verse 1. It says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. Now, therefore is a connective word. It it, it ties uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, to all that has happened, to all that has been taught in Hebrews chapter 1. It's saying, because Jesus is better, because Jesus is all the things that we've talked about, you need... You need to do something. You, you, you need to pay careful attention to what you've heard about him. Now, that word attention is an interesting word. So it says, so, so, so pay the most careful attention to Jesus. That word attention in Greek, it literally means heed. Uh, it, mean, it means heed. It means uh, pay attention. That's uh, a good translation. Be aware. But it actually has a much deeper meaning. You see, it's, it's a Greek nautical term. It's a Greek nautical term, and, and, and what, it, what, it, what it refers to is bringing a ship to land, or get this, 
attaching oneself to something that in the context of our, our text today, attaching oneself to something that would keep you from drifting. Friends, do you know what that imagery is? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying an anchor. He's saying, listen, you've got to anchor yourself to Jesus. Because He's better, you need to anchor your life to His so that you won't drift away. We've got to make Christ our anchor. This is something we've got to do actively. Now listen, this concept isn't necessarily new here in the book of Hebrews. Uh, It's beautiful imagery. In fact, if you you think about it, you think about a ship without an engine, because they didn't have those back then. A ship without an engine and without an anchor that has drifted out into sea. Can you imagine what would happen to that ship? It'd be tossed all about, right? Well, that's the imagery that Paul picks up on in Ephesians 4. And I love the amplified version of this passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, reading out of the amplified version of the Bible. It says, so then we may no longer be children tossed like ships to and fro between chance gust of teaching and wavering with every changing wind of doctrine. So how do we avoid that? How how do we avoid uh, being tossed about in this thing called life? And the answer uh, is our call. We actively anchor ourselves to Jesus. We grow in maturity and knowledge of Jesus and in our own relationship to Jesus. The Bible uses all kinds of phrases to talk about this process, this active anchoring. Hebrews 12.1 calls this fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. It reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance uh, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Galatians 5 calls this walking in the spirit or keeping in step with the spirit, right? Walking in the spirit or keeping in step with the spirit. It reads like this, uh, 5, 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then and it picks up again in verse 22 and it reads this. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance. Uh, maybe your Bible says patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with The spirit, John 15 calls this kind of active anchoring. It calls it remaining or or abiding in Christ, remaining or abiding in in Christ. John 15, five through eight says, I'm the vine. Jesus speaking, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
fixing our eyes on Christ, walking in Christ or keeping in step with the Spirit, remaining in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you want to call it. This one truth remains. I want you to see this morning that this is a choice that you and I must make daily. This is a choice that you and I must make daily. Jesus says this in Luke 9, 23. Maybe you've forgotten about it. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, what? Daily and follow me. This is a choice that we have to make daily. And this may upset some people. But this is, this is what Philippians 2 is talking about when it says that we are to work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling, right? We're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, does that mean that we earn our salvation somehow? Absolutely not. Nobody can come to God without God calling them to himself. God is the only one that can save. It's not anything that you can do. So, but, but, but salvation, friends, is not just a one-time thing. It's actually a process. And so here's how it works. When, when, when God calls us unto himself and, 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 and we surrender unto that call and we give our life to God and God gives us his perfect, uh, perfect life, right, in Jesus, at that moment we are saved from the penalty of sin, which is death. Now, we, we, we say at that moment we are saved. We become a child of God. We have a relationship with God. And, and, and our, our future in heaven is assured at that point we're saved from the penalty of death. But as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we fix our eyes on, on the pioneer and perfecter of, of our faith, as we abide in Christ, we, we begin to be saved from the power that sin has had over us. Now, here's the deal. When, when, when we were here, the Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, that we were slaves to sin. We had no choice. We talked about this Wednesday night in, in our pastor study. At that point, we were slaves to sin. We had absolutely no choice. We were dead. But Jesus came and he's our deliverer. And he delivered us from, from, from the penalty of sin. We were saved at that moment and we have new life in Christ. Now as we have new life in Christ, this is still fully grace. It's the grace of God that, that, that enables us to do this. Now because of the grace of God, the active grace of God, we now have a choice. And that choice is whether or not we choose sin. You see, the Israelites, when they were delivered, sometimes they still wanted to go back and eat the stuff that they ate then, didn't they? Sometimes they still wanted to go back. They thought it was a better life when they were slaves because they're wandering around and they're having to wait on God and God's hand and God's provisions. But God's ways are always best. So here is our, our struggle. We, too, are in the wilderness or the desert of life and we must daily make a choice to put God first. And it's daily, friends, it's daily. This is the choice that we make in Christ, whether or not we're going to abide in Him, whether or not we are going to anchor ourselves unto Him. And this is the warning that our author is making. He's saying, I'm telling you, God is better. I'm telling you, Jesus is better. I'm telling you, His plan is better. I'm telling you, His ways are better. I know that persecution is going on. I know that you're struggling. I know that you're hurting. I know that your friends are being killed. But I'm here to tell you that God is better. You need to anchor yourself to Him and to Him alone. And that's where we find ourselves. He's talking about this, this active anchoring. Friends, this is Joshua. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And brothers and sisters, I, I don't want you to be confused. You too have that choice every day when you get up. As if Joshua himself were standing before you saying, okay, what are you going to do today? 
Choose today whom you will serve. This is a choice that each of us must make daily. Whether or not we'll fix our eyes on him, whether or not we'll walk in him, whether or not we'll abide in him. The author of Hebrews pleads with you, please actively anchor yourself to Jesus. That's the choice before you. That's the call. Now, here's the warning. Second thing I want you to see this morning. When, if we neglect the teachings of Jesus, we spiritually drift away from God. When, if we neglect the teachings of Jesus, we spiritually drift away from God. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. We believe in the eternal security of of the believer. That's a big theological uh, phrase that means that we believe that once you are truly saved, you are always saved. And this is why we believe this, because salvation is not about you. Salvation is not about you. It is about God. Even when we're unfaithful, he is faithful. That is his name. And because his name is faithful and because he is faithful, when he calls someone to himself, he is faithful. He doesn't then let go of that someone. He doesn't then go back on his promise. It is impossible for God to lie. And if God says, if you trust in me and you put your faith in my son, that I'll give you eternal life, God cannot go back on that promise. That is not who God is. So we believe in the eternal security of believers. Now, here's where this is problematic for us, because we all know people that have gone astray, people that seem to have it. And then they have completely turned around and they now they denounce God. And we say, what do we do? Well, here's here's the first thing we tread lightly. We tread lightly because salvation is between a man and God. And, and it's so hard. Now, now listen, a tree is known by its fruit. And so we can, we can kind of think things, but I don't want to pass judgment on somebody else. The way I read my Bible, Jesus has judged, not us, right? And, and, and to the measure of which I judge, I will be judged. So I'm going to step back a little bit. I'm going to tread a little lightly. But, but here's the deal. The Bible says throughout the history of mankind that there have been people that fit in with religion and they look very much like they've got it, but they don't really. In fact, Jesus says on that day, many will come to me and cry out, Lord, Lord, did we not drive out demons and prophesy in your name? And I will say unto them, away from me, I knew you not. Right. And so what's at the heart of that? Well, the heart of that is what the Bible speaks of. Okay. Hey, let's pull up this scripture real quick in in uh, in first John two nineteen. It says they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And what he's saying is that there were a group of people that evidently uh, got something. They got something. They got some religion. They got some excitement. Now, 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 hear me. I believe these people in their head believed that Jesus was everything that they had seen and heard. They had a head knowledge of Jesus, but here's the problem. They never exchanged their sinful life for his perfect life. They were never truly saved is what the Bible says. And so they went out from us because they were never really with us. That's why we talk about the true sign of faith is enduring faith, right? enduring faith. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Even for those that are truly saved, for children of God that have been born again, that it's genuinely happened, you need to know the scripture says that you can drift away from God. Not that you can lose your salvation, but that you can drift away from God. And I want to paint a picture of what drifting looks like for you this morning. Here's five things I'll share with you briefly. Number one, drifting 
is broken fellowship. Drifting is broken fellowship with God. It's distance. You meet somebody, and maybe you've been there as a Christian, you just felt distant from God. Why is that? Well, usually that's because you are not actively choosing to anchor yourself to Christ. You're not actively walking in the Spirit. You're not actively spending time in prayer and in the Word and in study. You're not actively worshiping God, right? And that creates a broken fellowship. Isaiah 59.2 says it this way, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And it is possible for a Christian to live and, and to walk in that. That's called drifting. And it's misery. It's misery. When you know what safety and security and love and joy and peace and patience and fellowship are. And you don't have those things. It's misery. It's broken fellowship. Okay, number two. Drifting uh, is... is uh, Somebody that's known for being unproductive or ineffective. If you've ever felt that way in your faith, please heed the words that we find here in Hebrews. Then we know according to Scripture that we are, are, are created in Christ. We're created in Christ to do good works, right? We know that, that, that in Christ we're called to be the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he says, and you're the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. We, we know that Philippians 2, that we are made um, to shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. We know 2 Corinthians 3, that we are made to reflect the glory of God. We're, we're, we're to be the moon here on earth, so to speak, and, and reflect the glory of God's radiance unto all those around us. But that only happens when we actively pursue Christ and anchor ourselves to him. If we don't, then we're not those things. If we if we don't, we're, we're ineffective, we're unproductive in those things. This is what Second Peter one five through eight says. It says, for this very reason. Speaking of a choice for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. As a Christian, it is possible to drift away from Christ, to not be abiding in him, and it will make you ineffective and unproductive. More than that, it will make you unfruitful. It will make you unfruitful. We're created in Christ to bear fruit, fruit that will last, right? We, we've already read John 15, but that fruit that lasts only happens when we're abiding in Christ. If we're not abiding in Christ, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, you, you can do nothing without me. And I meet so many Christians, they're so frustrated. They feel like they, they're made for more than this, but they are so frustrated because they don't see any fruit in their life and they don't see any fruit in their life because they're not abiding in the vine that produces the fruit. You're just the branch, you're not the vine. You've got to remain in the vine to produce the fruit. And again, I tell you, there's nothing more frustrating than being a believer that's unfruitful. It is misery. It is misery. It, it, it causes insecurity. It makes people question their salvation. They, I mean, they read a tree is known by its fruit and they look at their life. and well, I, I don't know how, how much fruit I have. And, and it, it, it's so difficult. 
Man, it doesn't have to be that way. Anchor yourself to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Galatians 5 talks about this, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Well, guess what, friends? You don't get that fruit by praying for it. I love you, but some of you are my pet peeves in Jesus. Some of you constantly, I was praying for patience. You don't pray for patience. You walk in the Spirit. I was praying for joy. You don't pray for joy. You walk in the Spirit and you get it. These things happen when you abide in Christ. You don't get them by praying and choosing not to abide in Christ. You can't walk your way and have God's fruit. You don't get to plant your own orchard and get His harvest. That's not how it works. You've got to abide in Christ. And then you get His fruit. Don't just pray for it. Live it. God has designed you to be fruitful. Number four, drifting usually equals a bad attitude. This is a pretty good litmus test as to whether or not you're abiding in Christ. How's your attitude? If you have a poor attitude, I'm going to tell you, I do not believe that you are abiding in Christ the way that you should be. Do you know why? Because Philippians 2.5 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You are a Christian, a little Christ, as if you are my my little daughter putting on my shoes, stumbling around the living room. That's who you are in Jesus. And if your attitude stinks, then you are not walking in his footsteps. Now, I I love you in the Lord, and I'm not trying to be difficult, but this is something that God just put on my heart this week. And and, and I had some good days, and I had some bad days. But but, but I'm going to continue to fight this fight, and and it was such a big deal. I came here to church. I talked to to all of our pastors about it. I said, guys, listen, I'm here to tell you that, that we cannot be the ambassadors for Jesus that he has called us to be and have a bad attitude. it's not okay. We can't do this anymore. And if I see it in you, I'm going to call you out on it. And I need you to call me out on it too. We can't have a bad attitude and truly be abiding in Christ. Our attitude has to be that of Christ. If we've got a bad attitude, it's a pretty sure sign that we're drifting from where we need to be. Number five. Our witness grows dim. Our our witness grows dim. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then he said, you are a light of the world. And he says, a city on a hill uh, cannot be hidden. You don't light a lamp and hide it under a bowl, right? He also says this in Matthew 6, 23. He's talking about our eyes, but but it's, it's got such great application for us this morning. He says, if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Friends, if you're the light of the world and you're dim, what does that say for the world? It's a hard place. It's a hard place. You think this, everybody likes to complain about the state of our world today? I wonder in the midst of our complaint if we could stop and look in the mirror for a moment. Do you think it's a dark place because we're not being the light like we need to be? If we're drifting... We're a dim witness. So what do we do? What do we do? Three things and we'll be done. Number one. Number one. Oh, for the non-Christian. Yeah, this is important. I don't want to skip this. Uh, So those things were for the Christian. Now, here's the danger. Uh, If a non-Christian drifts, it's even worse. All right. 
for the non-Christian, drifting could actually mean drifting back out into a raging sea of sin and being dragged away by the current of death. Because they have a head knowledge of Jesus, but they've never exchanged their life for Christ. And friends, if they drift away like that, thinking somehow that they know God, but they do not, that will be the person that stands before Jesus. And he says, away from, away from me, I knew you not. I need you to think about that for a second. That's huge. That's huge. That's scary. We talk about the importance of the gospel and the importance of divine appointments and, and, and sharing Christ with people and, and relationships and intentionality. It's a big deal. All right. So let me give you a few things that we can do because of this and, and we'll be done. Application number one. Um, if you're one of these people um, that has not um, has not ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. That means that literally you, you have some head knowledge about Christ, but you, you've never truly exchanged your life for his. Uh, then I, I, would, I would start right here with you in love. Attach yourself to Jesus. Attach yourself to Jesus. This is the greatest need in life right here. Now you may think, but the greatest need in life is, is a job situation. The greatest need in life is my marriage right now. The greatest need in life is finances or it's food or no, 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 my friend. Because here's the truth of Scripture. We, we will all pass at some point unless Jesus returns. We'll all die. That's a guarantee unless Jesus comes back. But here's the, the, the deal. According to this passage even, the next few verses will also all face judgment. And, and what you need at that point is not more food on your table. It's not a bigger house. It's not a better job. And it's not a stronger marriage. What you need at that point is Jesus. That's what you need at that point. He is your greatest need. And so we're just going to start there. If you've never truly attached yourself to Jesus, I'm here to tell you there is a current. And, and, and it is a strong one. And you will be swept away. And if you're swept away with just a head knowledge. It's a very scary place to be. Attach yourself to Jesus. For those of you that are believers. Number two. Daily anchor yourself. In Christ. Daily anchor yourself in Christ. We have a choice to make every day. By the grace of God, we have been freed from the penalty of sin. We have been delivered by Jesus. Now live like it. That's the choice. Do you want to go back to Egypt? Because all too often we choose it. All too often we choose it. And the Bible would simply encourage us. The author of Hebrews would encourage us here. No daily Daily, abide in Him. That's where the fruit is. That's where true life is. Jesus said He came that we might have abundant life. If you're not experiencing abundant life, it's probably because you're not anchored in Christ daily. That's why you only have moments of abundance. That ever frustrate you? There are moments that God moves so powerfully in your life that you are blown away, and it's a great moment of testimony, but then you look back and you go, well... That was a good moment. You think maybe that moment happened because you were walking so closely with Jesus. I think maybe that's the heart of it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? Here's the last one. I, I beg you. I implore you. Don't be a dimwit. <sighs> don't be a dimwit. Friends, we live in an ever-darkening world and they need the light of Jesus. They need the light of Jesus. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Are you following me? If the light in you is darkness. Now, I'm going to share something with you. Maybe you've heard it before. I've shared this with kids in youth ministry for 10 years of my life. And this, this is just the God's honest truth. Now, listen, it's probably going to tell you that you need a more spiritual pastor, okay? It's probably what it'll tell you, but here it is. Ready? There are three reasons why I continue to follow Jesus. There are three reasons why I get up and I continue to fight the fight. There are three reasons that I continue to run the race. The very first reason is my love for God and what he has done for me. And, and, and friends, that should be the reason, right? That should be enough, but I'm here to tell you that I'm a failure and it's not always enough. I, I, I wish I could tell you that my love for God is so great and the passion is so strong that every morning I roll out of bed and I jump up with a great attitude, ready to, to dig in and to abide in Jesus and to walk out and have my attitude change and, and to bear fruit every corner that I turn. I wish I could tell you that I love God that much that it happens, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are some days that my love for God is not enough. And on those days, the second place I turn is my hate for the enemy. Man, I hate Satan. Do do you ever look and see what the enemy does? Do you see the destruction that he brings? We've got some friends that that, that just um, spoke at a big conference about uh, about, uh, the sex industry and what it's done to women. How the mindset of pornography has affected men and and, and how how that affects women and their lifestyles and their choices and and all these kind of things. And and, and what a trap it is and the drugs and the alcohol. I I don't know if you ever look around and see how many battles it seems like the enemy is winning. And I don't know how you feel about it, but it just makes me mad. It just makes me mad when somebody comes to my office and they're tired and they're weary and they're ready to get a divorce. It angers me. It doesn't, I'm not angry at them. I'm angry at the enemy because I feel like the enemy is winning yet another battle. And it angers me what, what sin has caused in our world today. It should anger you too. And I'm here to tell you that there are some days that I get out of bed so that I can kick him in the gut. There are some days that I get up and I just I just boldly proclaim, you know what, Jesus is better than that. And I don't care what the enemy is telling you because you have conquered death and you've conquered the grave. And, and one day all these things will be set right, so don't you stay down. You get up and you fight, you hear me. And there are some days that it is my anger for the enemy that gets me by. I'm going to tell you, I wish it was my love for God and I wish it was enough, but some days it is not. But there are even days, guys, that my hate for Satan's not enough. And in this walk and in this struggle, I'm just tired and I'm weary and I don't want to do it. And here's what gets me out of bed that morning. This is what makes me pray on that day. This is what gets me in my word in that moment. It is those people that I know look to my witness in this world. It is the fact that Christ has called me an ambassador and I now represent him. And I do not want to dishonor his name. Friends, I wonder if you've ever thought about that third category in your life. I wonder if that would ever be your motivation one day when the other two weren't enough. To think, yes, I could give in. But what about all those around me? What would that say unto them? Don't be a dim witness.